want to continue this series uh, on spiritual discipline. So Hebrews 13, we'll come to that passage in just a moment. But I want to remind you of how important disciplines are. Uh, as, as most of you know, my favorite sport is basketball. And one of the greatest NBA players in history was Kobe Bryant, who spent his career with the Los Angeles Lakers, won, I think it was about five uh, NBA titles with the Lakers, as well as a couple of Olympic gold medals with Team USA. And back in 2012, when he was on Team USA uh, the second time, and they were preparing for the, the Olympics, they were practicing out in, in, in Vegas. And one, the, the athletic trainer that was assigned to help Kobe with conditioning, because each of those players had an athletic trainer, his was a guy named Roberts. First time he'd ever worked with Kobe Bryant. And he described his first experience with Kobe this way. They were supposed to have a team practice uh, at 11 o'clock on a certain day, okay? So that evening before, he decided to stay up late and watch movies and didn't get into bed until about 3 o'clock. I mean, practice wasn't until 11 o'clock, so he got in bed at 3 a.m. And he no more than had fallen asleep when his cell phone rang, and it was Kobe. And... Uh, Kobe said, I hope I'm not bothering you or anything. I was just hoping, wondering if you could uh, help me with some conditioning drills. Robert looked over at at the clock, and it was 4.15 a.m. He said, sure. Got out of bed, groggy. By the time he made his way to the gym, it was a little before 5 o'clock. And in the gym by himself, just before 5 o'clock was Kobe Bryant, already in a total sweat, just like he walked out of a swimming pool because he'd already been running, doing some conditioning that way. And so they spent from a little before 5 until 6 o'clock together doing conditioning drills, and then from 6 to 7 in the weight room lifting weights. At 7 o'clock, Robert goes back to the hotel and crashes in bed. Gets up in time to make it back to the gym for the team's first practice, getting ready for the Olympics now. First practice at 11 a.m. And when he walks in, he sees all the players, okay, all these NBA all-stars and the coaches, you know, know, standing in different places talking to each other. And on one end of the gym by himself was Kobe Bryant shooting jump shots. And so Robert walks over to him, and they reminisce about that morning briefly. And what he discovers is that Kobe never left the gym. When Robert went back to the hotel and crashed at 7 a.m., Kobe Bryant stayed in the gym because his goal before practice was to make 800 jump shots. Not shoot 800, make 800. And then at 11 o'clock, they had team practice. So think about it his morning. From 4.30 to 6 a.m., Kobe Bryant did physical conditioning. From 7 to 8 a.m., he lifted weights. From or to seven a.m. And, and and then from seven a.m. to eleven a.m. he shot until he made made eight hundred not not layups eight hundred jump shots. Now here's the thing. His goal was not to spend that many hours in the gym shooting. His goal was to make make eight hundred shots. And he had the discipline to do what he needed to do to become the kind of player he became, one of the top players in the history of the game. Now, some of us look at it and say, wow, 
But the truth is, if we're going to be really great at anything, there's a level of discipline we have to have. And, and the thing that keeps so many people from moving forward in life, whether it's in your relationships, in your career, with your health, uh, whatever it is, sports, music, is a lack of discipline. The discipline to develop certain habits, certain skills to, <clears throat> to practice, to say, there, I know there are certain things I must do and I must make that a priority and, and, and make whatever time is necessary to, to do that if I'm going to be really good at my craft. And what I'm suggesting, and really more than suggesting, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying that if we're going to grow and become the disciples. I mean, one of our purposes, we, we exist to love God, love people, make disciples. Well, for you and me to make disciples, we have to be a disciple. And if God is going to use us to impact other lives, we need to be allowing God to already impacting our, be impacting our lives. And so to be a, a growing disciple, a disciple whose life is ongoing, you know, in an ongoing fashion being changed by, by Christ, there's just disciplines we have to practice. So last Sunday we talked about the disciplines of solitude and meditation. Spending time with God. Praying to God as we meditate on His Scripture, putting His Word in us. There's just not much spiritual development that takes place without that. Today I want to suggest two more disciplines, and I'm going to spend most of my time on the first one because I've preached on the second one a lot, but it's, uh, uh, they go together. And um, the disciplines I want us to talk about today are simplicity and fasting. Simplicity and fasting. And we're going to spend most of our time talking about simplicity. I want you to look in your Bible with me at Hebrews chapter 13. This speaks primarily to one aspect of simplicity, but the principle applies to others. Hebrews 13, do you have your Bible? All right, verses 5 and 6. I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation. He says, make sure that your character, I think the NIV translates it, keep your lives. So keep your lives. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he, this is referring to Jesus, for Jesus himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Now, there are principles in this passage that go beyond just the way we deal with money. But money is a, a big part of it. The, the, he, he talks about the love of money. It can be the love of a lot of things. But the truth is, in our American culture, there's a lot of clutter. There's a lot of noise. We are a wealthy nation. And even those of us who do not consider ourselves rich, which is most of us, in the eyes of the world, we are. We have a lot of stuff. I, I always get intrigued when I hear people talking about how bad the economy is or how bad off everybody. Have you noticed the restaurants are not empty? Have you noticed that? We're the, we're the, you know, and I'm guilty, we're the most overweight nation on the planet. There's clutter. 
there's noise. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of activity. I mean, if we looked in some of our closets, right? Life is, life is busier than it's ever been. I mean, now little kids are busy doing things that, you know, my generation didn't worry about till we were teenagers. And families are meeting themselves, coming and going, rarely eating together. And all of this stuff and all of this busyness, all of this noise, all of this clutter, all of this activity, there's a lot for it because we get our sense of identity from it. We, we compare ourselves to others. If we're not careful, one of the dangers of it is that it crowds out God. Now, do you have a problem with any of this? I don't know. Do you have clothes in your closet you haven't worn in forever? Huh? Do you have too much debt because you're an impulsive buyer? Are you too busy because you just jump into everything? Is your life such that Last Sunday when I talked about solitude and meditation, you, you were thinking, whether you said it or not, you were thinking, preacher, I don't have time to be quiet and be still and be alone with Jesus and his word. I don't have time. If you don't have time for Christ, there's too much clutter. There's too much noise. There's too much busyness. There's too much stuff. Simplicity is the biblical teaching that says, hey, I don't want all of that clutter to crowd God, to crowd Jesus out of my life. So I'm going to simplify things to make room, to make time for him. There's a, there's a fad in America today. They usually refer to it as being a minimalist. Cutting back. Some people just cut back on, you know, they some, some, it, it it applies different ways. Some people are minimalist when, when it comes to decorating their house. They just don't want much stuff in the house. Some are minimalist when it comes to clothing. And then you have the, the radical people who are minimalist just across the board, and they say to themselves, I'm, I'm only going to have what is essential, what is necessary for me to exist, to live, and nothing more. And they talk about wanting to have a minimal carbon footprint in terms of you know, usage of the resources of the planet. And the truth is there's value in that. There are people who don't want to be house poor. They don't want to be so in debt they can't enjoy life. There's value in that. Um, the Big Bang Theory recently ended its uh, historic run of popularity on television. It was a very popular comedy. And the star there, Kaylee Cuoco, and her husband, Carl, are currently building their dream home. And uh, recently, she was interviewed and she said, when we move into that dream home, we won't have to fight over closet space. Because she said her husband, Carl, when it comes to clothing, is sort of a minimalist. He doesn't have much. And she exaggerated. She said, he only, is it like he only has three pieces of clothing? He's got more than that, but he doesn't have much. And, and she said, when you look in his closet right now, it's all my stuff because he doesn't have anything. He just doesn't care about clothes and doesn't buy much, has just... Very, very little. And she told about one day they were going to uh, 
a yoga class together, and he came downstairs wearing a pair of shorts. She looked at him, and she asked, are those mine? <laughs> he admitted they were, and she said, back up. <laughs> she went, he went back up and changed. Now, she's probably exaggerated, but the point she's making is, in that area of his life, he said he's just not going to have much, even though they can afford whatever they want, multi-millionaires. And uh, there's, there's value in being a minimalist in some areas of life. But brothers and sisters, when I'm talking about simplicity, biblical simplicity, I'm talking about something a little bit different. It's similar, but it's also different. Biblical simplicity does mean, yes, cutting back. That varies from person to person where we cut back or need to cut back in life. For some of us, it, it is clothing. For others, it's, it's technology. For some of us, it's the busyness and activities of our life. On and on it could go. There's clutter and noise and distractions, and we need to cut back. There's, there's value in that, and, and that's part of biblical simplicity is, is not just being wasteful and having, having stuff and you've got so much of it you don't even know you have it anymore. That's part of biblical simplicity. It's not being wasteful, not hoarding, getting by with less. But here's the difference. Biblical simplicity is not simply about making the planet safer or even though that's a good thing or having less stress because of less debt, even though that's a good thing. Biblical simplicity is about cutting back on whatever it is in your life that keeps you, now listen, that keeps you, prevents you, hinders you from hearing God, spending time with God, obeying God, serving God, giving financial resources to God's work, Whatever it is in your life that hinders any of those, that's where you need to allow God to help you simplify because it's getting in the way of your growth, your obedience, your service. So where's the clutter in your life? Where's the noise, the distraction in your life? Biblical simplicity is about saying, God, I trust you to take care of me. And, and I, I know, as Hebrews says, I, you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. And, and you are my helper. And so, God, I don't have to be in control of everything. It's, it's saying, Lord Jesus, I'm not going to live in fear that if I don't control everything, life will fall apart. It's about surrendering lordship and making room for what he wants to do in your life. And so in Hebrews 13, 5, he says, he says, make sure that your character is free from this stuff. Make sure, do something about it. You're responsible for that, he says. Then I be keep. It's, it's action on my part. What do I need to do? Where do I need to simplify? Where do I need to cut back? 
Where do I need to change so that whatever it is out there doesn't become such a love in my life, such a love and a passion and a desire in my life that it controls me, that it gets in between me and Jesus Christ. Be free from that, he says. Because it shapes, notice, your character. Or the NIV translation, your life. What you love, what controls you, what shapes you, what what you focus on, what you get confidence from, what you get your sense of self-worth and identity from. Shapes your character. Shapes your life. And for us, it needs to be Jesus Christ, not all this other stuff, all this other noise. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 16. He said this, no servant, and that's what we are, we're his servant, can serve what? You're familiar with this passage, can serve two, two masters. Why? Because, hey, one wins, not both. Right? See, the noise, the clutter, the stuff, the activity, the busyness, the wealth, whatever whatever mammon is for you is a rival to God if you allow it to become that. If it, if it crowds out your relationship with Christ, you're serving Jesus, you're spending time in prayer and Bible reading with Jesus, if it controls you too much, it's a rival to God on the throne of your heart. That's the reason Jesus said don't lay up treasures on earth, but rather lay up treasure where? Heaven. Heaven. And Romans, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, uh, for those who are according to the flesh, referring to those those who are not followers of Christ, set their minds where? Huh? On the things of the flesh. So I have to have a new outfit. I have to be part of that activity. I have to be part of that group. Because the flesh says if I'm not, I'm nobody. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what others think I should be. And and I, I don't want to forget God, but I'll make time for God after I fulfill all the wants of the flesh. Once the flesh is satisfied, then God, whatever's left over, okay, God, now you can have that. That's the reason when it comes to, to tithing and giving, scripturally it's called the first fruits. God comes first. Lordship. God is Lord. And Jesus said one approach to living, or Paul rather wrote there in Romans, one approach to living brings peace and life. The other one doesn't. So what you and I think about and what we focus on matters, the Scripture says. You, you remember what Jesus said in the, in the Sermon on the Mount at the end of chapter 6, Matthew 6, verse, verse 33? He said, seek first, what? God's kingdom. And then all these other things referring to the things of the flesh, the, 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 the activities and stuff that come second. But, but what we do is, because the flesh is powerful and, and the love of 
all the stuff of life is strong, we invert that. We, we turn it on its head and we seek all the other stuff first and fit God in if we're not careful. And simplicity is a way of saying, God, if this is the thing that, that, that is seeking to dominate me, I'm going to cut back and put you first in that area because there's a ripple effect. I want you to be first in my whole life. And God, if I don't do it there, it's not going to happen anywhere else. It's not going to be real. God, i got to get that fixed. And so simplicity says, God, okay, I surrender that. I cut, it, I cut back there, God. I make changes. You know, one of the biggest, noisiest distractions in our lives today is social media. Now, some of you right away want to start thinking about all the young people and the millennials and so on. i got to tell you something. According to research, your age group has as big a problem, but it's with Facebook and a couple of other things. Because some of you can't get through the day without checking Facebook, but you don't pick up the Word of God. Now, am I lying? We all have those things in our lives. And uh, Satan knows how to give it to us. Steve Jobs, your co-founder of Apple and famous for everything that's come through there, you know, operating system, you know, the, the computers and the, the iPhones and the tablets and everything else. And even that stuff you, some of you are wearing on your arm right now and you can't... You, I get tickled. Well, sometimes I get frustrated, but I get tickled that people have that thing on their on their wrist, and you know it's to count steps and all of that. But there can be an email that's full of junk, and it you got to look at it. I bet some of you've interrupted kissing your wife to check what what just you know, vibrated on your wrist. If you ever did that, you got a real problem, brother. years ago I made the decision to quit wearing a watch it's amazing what can control us if we're not careful um, but Steve Jobs was talking in an interview once about uh, focus and about self-denial and, and and here's what he said <laughs> can you can you read that he said, it comes, here's how focus and self-denial come. He says, it comes from saying no to 1,000 things to make sure we don't get on the wrong track and try to do too much. Now, does that sound like a lot of us? And then he added, it's only by saying no that you can concentrate on things that, really, that are really important. You have to say no to some things so you can say yes to the more important things. The question is, in your heart and in your life, what things are more important? Then make time for them. Simplify. Now, I want to talk about fasting. Some of you are thinking, well, what's fasting have to do with, with, with simplicity? I'm, I'm only going to touch on this, okay? Last week I said solitude and meditation go together. Well, I think in some ways simplicity and fasting go together. You know why? 
because they are both about denying yourself something. Simplicity is about denying yourself something so you can have room for something more important. Fasting is about seeking God. The most important thing in life. I, I, I preached on fasting a lot. You know a, a lot of, about it, that it's doing without food, drinking liquids, and I'm not talking about today necessarily fasting from technology and TV. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the old-fashioned biblical fast of fasting from food for a period of time so you can seek God, so you can hear His voice, you can, you, you, you can seek repentance, you can seek renewal and revival, you can seek strength and help, you can seek answers, guidance, but seeking God, denying yourself so you can seek Him. I... Um, when Monisa and I moved to, to South Carolina back in, uh, in in 84, we had no family in this state. But we did have some really good friends from our home church in Kentucky. One was the pastor that many of you know, Bill Mackey, who baptized me and, and um, ordained me, one of my mentors, and he had since moved to South Carolina working with our state convention in evangelism and leadership development. And then Richard, who actually discipled me, who taught me how to, how to share the gospel, how to witness. He had moved to Somerville and planted a church. So when Monisa and I moved here and then started having our children, they were here. And so for years, we would all get together in early December at Bill's house in Columbia and have dinner. Every December, sort of a Christmas celebration, we'd all get together. And, you know, the kids would play together, and that was a great time for us. Did that for, for, for many, many years. And I remember one year, Bill's wife Kay had fixed this really nice dinner, and we were sitting, the, the, you know, the grown-ups were sitting at the dining room table, and we were eating. And I noticed Bill was not eating. He had a, he had a bowl of tomato, tomato soup. We had roast. He was eating tomato soup. And I was seated next to him on the end of the table, and I, j I just looked at him and said, you're not eating? And he just nodded no, kind of grinned. That was all that was said. Later, I'm talking weeks later, I learned that Bill was in the midst of a 40-day fast, seeking God. It was about a year after that that the most significant ministry opportunity in his life developed as God moved him back to Kentucky and he led for the next decade Baptist work, all the Baptist work in our state. He was seeking God. It's, it's, it's about saying, God, you're so important. I'm going to say no. I'm going to cut out. I'm going to simplify. I'm going to fast because, God, you matter. Jesus, you matter. My relationship with you matters. The Lord Jesus himself, after he was baptized, 
began his ministry by spending 40 days fasting and praying, correct? Yeah, Gospel of Matthew. The great evangelistic church in the, in the early years of, of Christianity in the book of Acts and chapter 13 was in Antioch in, in Syria and that church at Antioch God was using and, and they had a large pastoral staff and, and he says there in Acts 13 that they were fasting and praying and while they were fasting and praying the Holy Spirit reached down and took Paul and Barnabas put them together as the first great missionary team of the early church. In the, in the book of Acts, in chapter 14, when the Apostle Paul finished his first missionary journey, he backtracked because he, he had traveled through much of what we know as Turkey and planted churches in several different towns and cities. And, and when he finished, he backtracked through all of those churches on his way back to Antioch, his home base, and what it says is in each of those churches, he would stop as he was backtracking and he would appoint the elders and the pastors and the leaders after they prayed and fasted. There are dozens and dozens examples of fasting in both the Old and New Testament. Say no. So you can say yes to what is more important. So let me wrap this up. What's the challenge? What am I asking you to do? What's, what, what, what do I want you to consider doing? Well, when it comes to fasting, I'm going to encourage you to consider this. I'm going to challenge you to take one day, choose one day this week and fast. Now, some of you may have medical reasons you can't do a full fast. You do what you can, but listen to your doctor. Otherwise, spend one day, whatever day you want, this week, fasting. And what, and what's the purpose of the fast? For God to do a fresh work in your life. For God to do a work of spiritual renewal and spiritual revival in your life. When it comes to simplicity... I'm encouraging you to think about to identify one area in your life to cut back. Or maybe something in your life that you need to get rid of, you need to give away to have some freedom so you can more easily hear God. That will be different for each of us. But there's a quote I want to show you from, from uh, Basil the Great who was a, a church leader in the 300s uh, in Caesarea, which was in Turkey, not the one in in, in the coastal area, but in Turkey. And uh, listen to what he said. This is an interesting quote. He said, and, and he's one of the guys who really started, helped start the monastic movement in the church. He said, the coat unused in your closet belongs to the one who needs it. The shoes rotting in your closet belong to the one who has no shoes. Now, is it a sin to have two coats? No, I've got two coats. <laughs> I've got more than two coats. You probably do as well. But it is wrong to have too much. It is wrong 
to be so concerned about all that stuff and to have all whatever it is in your life that it gets in between you being generous and giving, between you serving Jesus, between you spending time with Jesus, between you obeying Jesus, then it's a sin. So I don't know what that looks like in your life. Maybe you need to have some, like we talked about last week, some solitude. A meditation to hear God for Him to say to you, here's the clutter, here's the distraction, here's the noise in your life that's interfering with your spiritual growth, your, your discipleship, and, and allow Him to point that out to you so then you can decide, all right, here's how I'm going to simplify that in my life. Maybe fasting will help you with that. So I'm, I'm, I'm incur- you know what I'm doing in the, these sermons? I'm encouraging us to say, Jesus, you're first. Jesus, your will in my life is first. Jesus, your purpose for me is first. Jesus, your kingdom is first. Jesus, I'm no longer giving you the leftovers. You're first, and then that's going to shape how I do everything else in life because you're first. The biblical word for that is lordship. What is lordship? He's first. That's it. He's first. Let's stand as the team leads us in singing our hymn of invitation. And you're invited to make your way to the altar right now as we sing. And uh, pray. Kneel here on the kneeling bench and pray to the Lord. Maybe you already know what it is in your life that's clutter, that's noise, that's distracting. It's getting in the way. And you just need to talk to the Lord about it. I'll be here at the front. You can come this morning and say, Pastor, I want to join First Baptist Church or I need to be baptized. Maybe you don't spend time with Jesus because you don't know Him. He's not your Lord. He's not your Savior. He hasn't, you haven't committed your life to Him. And you're invited this morning to come and say, I want Jesus to be in my life. I want a relationship with Him. I want to be forgiven. I want to be a disciple of Christ. So let's sing together and you come right now.